Well, good morning. Uh, great to see you guys. If you are new to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor at campus here in Westerville. Grateful to have you with us. If you are a guest, here's one thing I'm going to ask you to do is to take out your phone, turn on the camera, and point it at a QR code at one of the chairs in front of you, and that'll take you to a landing page called lpguest.com. That's lpguest.com. If you go to that page, here's what you're going to find there. All the information about LifePoint you can find right there. You want to know about upcoming events, uh, things that are going on in our church, that's where you can find them. There's also the sermon notes, and you can follow along during the sermon. Take your own notes if you want. You can email those to yourself. There's also going to be a reason I'm going to ask you to go there today, so you want to get that. Um, there's a guest information button on the other side there, and if you hit that button and fill out a little bit of information, tell us how you heard about LifePoint, which is very important to us. But then as you fill it out, if you scroll down, there are five ministries we support from all of our campuses. If you check one of the boxes of whichever ministry you find most interesting, we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry this week. Uh, and that's you can join with all the other guests at all of our campuses to kind of make a dent and uh, help out some of those ministries. So that's a great way to do something good. Um, but... That said, for all of our life pointers, you know, you guys, this is your home. You know, this, you would consider this your place. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have not downloaded the app, I want you to do that. Here's why. If you go to your search spot, you know, whatever your uh, little, little spot to find your apps, you go hit search, you hit LifePoint Ohio. It needs to say Ohio, LifePoint Ohio. Find the little blue starburst, download, download that onto your phone. Now you have the app. On the app, everything that is awesome about life, I'm telling you, is on the app. Okay, maybe hyperbole, right? But nevertheless, I want you to follow along in the sermon notes today. Take your own notes. There's going to be a link in there I'm going to talk about uh, as, you know, as I'm kind of going along. That said, grateful, like I said, to have you guys. I was thinking about something uh, as I was prepping for this message about how it's easy in life to look back at decisions you've made and went, man, that was dumb, right? Now, I'm at a point in life where I have easier to look back because there's more life lived. I can look back at decisions and think that was foolish, that was foolish, that was foolish. I would want a do-over on several things I've done in my life. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, you guys probably have done the same thing. It's just easier the further along you get to see those things that you, that you do. Here's what's almost impossible to do, though. When you're in the moment making a foolish decision, it's really hard to see that it's foolish in the moment. You're just caught up in your decision. You're trying to make the best decision you can. You usually don't see it until well over on this side of it. You look back and go, it's foolish. I was thinking about that, and uh, this week I was just kind of scrolling down the rabbit hole of, of, you know, of websites, and I found this site that basically said, here are actors who have passed on iconic roles, right? So I'm going to point out to you some foolishness uh, on a couple actors' parts. I, I thought of all the ones I read, I made a top 10 list that I thought were interesting that might hit everybody at some different level. So the, number 10, Jack Nicholson turned down Michael Corleone in The Godfather. Can you believe that? M Michael Corleone. Uh, John Travolta passed on Forrest Gump, and we're all better for it. <laughs> Will Smith passes Neo in The Matrix, Old school, ready? Burt Reynolds passed as James Bond into Live and Let Die. I can't even imagine that. Christina Applegate passed on Elle Woods in Legally Blonde. Nicolas Cage passed as Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that one, I just, that's hard for me to fathom right there. <laughs> Molly Ringwald passes the lead in Pretty Woman. Tom Hanks passed as Jerry Maguire. 
Can you imagine that? I think he could have done that. Um, Tom Selleck passed on Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark. He had just gotten the gig as Magnum P.I., and he was caught up in that. He didn't want anything to interfere with his schedule, so he turned down, you know, Indiana Jones, which, you know. But then my favorite one. This is the one that I thought by far is my favorite. Al Pacino passed as Han Solo in Star Wars. Can you imagine that? No. Anyway, those guys... Those guys have messed up, right? They made some foolish choices in their life, and we get to see it on screen. Uh, that, that said, here's the thing. We're in this new series we're calling Kingdom Values. We're talking about how living in the kingdom means giving towards things that matter. Now, LifePoint has done a great job of not making money a central focus of what we do because there's a lot of churches out there that all they do is talk about money and they kind of make this idea that, you know, all churches want is your money. Well, that's just not true. Uh, It's not true of the large church in general, but there are some, of course, but it's not true of LifePoint. But we do a really good job of kind of, we don't even pass plates, right? But when you study scripture, here's what you find. Jesus talked more about money than he did any other topic. And so we do a disservice by not talking about it. And what we're saying is that in the kingdom of God, there are values that the king has for his citizens. And we need to follow those values and adopt them. So when we think about the kingdom of God, when it's easy, and I'm going to say this every week, we think about a kingdom, we think about a king on a throne, he's got his castle and his army, and, and they kind of have their land. That's not like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this, is that God wants a relationship with everybody. Everyone he has made, he wants a personal relationship with them to connect But we all do this to God. We all kind of put our hand in God's face and say, nope, I'm the king of my life. I'm not doing it your way. I'm doing it my way. That doing it our way leads to sin and literally breaks our relationship with God. And because God is holy and eternal, he's not going to allow people who are broken into eternity broken because then eternity is broken and we are broken forever. So what does he do? He pursues us by sending his son down to die on the cross so the justice of God prevails. He pays for all sin one time on the cross and the grace and mercy of God prevails by him being risen from the grave. And because he's alive, he sends his Holy Spirit to show us who he is, to reveal the truth of that grace and mercy to anyone who would come to him in faith. All their sins could be paid for and they could become a citizen in the kingdom of God. The relationship with God is restored and he heals our brokenness with his own blood. That's the beauty of the kingdom of God. You don't get into the kingdom by acting a certain way. You can't go to church enough, uh, eliminate sin enough, write enough checks, serve on life. You You can't do anything to earn the citizenship in the kingdom of God except receive the grace and mercy of God himself delivered to us on the cross. That's the beauty of the kingdom. So how does the kingdom advance? It advances one heart at a time. As the message of the gospel reaches out to people, as people come to conclusion and receive the gospel in their hearts, they become citizens. That's how the kingdom of God advances. This is what I've noticed in life as I get older. I've seen it several times where I see people at the end of their lives who have a lot of regret when it comes to their life faith journey. They would look back on their life and and feel like, man, I have blown, I haven't uh, invested enough, I'm not close enough with God. And they have a lot of, uh, you know, anxiety about the future and about eternity They feel like they've missed out. And that happens a lot. And I think nobody wants that. Nobody wants it in their life to look back at the end and say, I don't know that God and I are tight. I don't know that I've spent time paying attention and connecting with him. And it's really foolish to miss out on that because eternity is a real thing. 
I think that people like me even who follow God, I get caught up in things that kind of get me distracted and I, I miss out on opportunities that God might want to be uh, doing in my life and drawing me closer to him. And I don't want to make foolish decisions about my faith journey. Nobody really wants that, no matter where you're at. And if you came in as a skeptic, like I don't even know about God, but everybody wants to have some kind of a strong faith and believe that God has his hand on their life. So how do we keep from making foolish decisions? And in a series, we're gonna talk about money a lot because money is the one thing that really gets a hold of our heart and kind of, kind of gets, gets in, our, in our bones, if you will, in our soul, and we depend more on money than we would ever would God. And it gets a hold of us. And this series is a lot about trying to break that hold it has on us. So if you have a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 12. We're gonna look at an interaction Jesus had with a guy. And he tells a parable to kind of explain the interaction with the guy and it really teaches us a lesson and really is a warning about not being foolish. But here's the, the truths I think I, I wanna pull out from here. The first one is this, is that we all value justice. If we're gonna keep from being a fool, we need to recognize that we all do value justice. I believe that's because we're made in God's image and God values justice. That's why we value that, but it plays itself out differently in our lives. So here's what's happening. Jesus is teaching in the crowds and he's telling about some really difficult and strong things that we need to hear. He read in chapter 12, verse eight, he says this, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I, I say that every week, don't I? At the end of service, I'm always talking about how important it is that we acknowledge God in our life. That it's public. It's not just a private faith. That's because Jesus values that. So he's teaching about these really important things. And then this happens next. Verse 13. Now someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I want you to think about what you're reading there. What, if you were there, here's a guy that's coming to Jesus. He believes that Jesus is an important figure, a rabbi, some kind of a man of God. He's probably witnessed some miracles or heard of them. So he's hearing about Jesus and he wants to come to him because he's having a problem with an inheritance between his brother and he, and he wants Jesus to really rule in his favor. That's what's happening. And I can just imagine him in the crowd thinking, okay, I gotta say it. I just need to wait for the right pause, right? This is my imagination here. But he's just kind of sitting there and he's just waiting. Jesus is talking and he's talking, he's teaching, he's teaching. He pauses and the guy goes, Jesus, will you judge between my brother and I in inheritance? Please help me. And then Jesus doesn't really even listen to the case. I mean, I can, I can only imagine the situation. But what he wants is justice. He's probably coming to Jesus thinking, I want Jesus to judge. If anyone can judge between my brother and I, it's Jesus. I want him to answer. And what he really wants is Jesus to answer in his favor. That's why he brings it up. Now, that's all my imagination, but deep down, don't we all want that? Now, most of our conflicts aren't just about money. We have lots of conflicts in our lives. Some of you guys are in real conflicts, deep things that are happening. And here's what I know is true. Whether it's money or those deep conflicts, it would be awesome if Jesus was the one who was judging. And here's why. Imagine having a judge that can't be bought. No political you know, arena. He's literally, and he loves both parties equally. He loves them deeply. He knows the facts, even based on whatever is being told. He actually knows through the facts what the truth is, and he can read the hearts of the people talking. 
and he's completely fair and is going to answer in your best interest no matter what. That's who you want to answer your conflicts because you want justice. We all have a sense of justice in our life. Now, Jesus doesn't even respond. He's like, man, you know, why should I be your judge? Um, and I think, come on, Jesus, at least find out the case. Now, I did a little research so I can understand the case. I'm making all this up, by the way. Um, <laughs> what if? What if we found out these are the details of the case? Now, Jewish law is if there's two sons, uh, two-thirds of the inheritance would go to the oldest son and one-third of the inheritance would go to the youngest son. Let's say the older son is completely worthless. He hasn't worked a day in his life. And the younger son is the one who's actually working much harder and actually taking care of the family business. Let's say it's worth a million dollars. The dad sits both boys down and says, look, you guys know I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm really sick. Because of the situation, I want it to go 50-50. You know it's right. You still get your 50%, but he deserves 50%. It's going to be 50-50. Is everyone clear on that? And both boys go, yes, sir. Right? Dad dies. Nothing's written. The officials come in, and the older brother says, yeah, two-thirds, that's, that's law. And they said, that's right, that's law. And what if the younger son is coming and saying, Jesus, come on. This isn't, this isn't you know, 500,000 him, 500,000 me. If it's two-thirds, I'm only getting my, like, 330. I'm out 170. I mean, isn't this unfair? What if that's actually the case? And he wants Jesus to come and rule in his favor. Why? Because it's fair. Jesus doesn't answer that. He says, be on guard. I want to warn you. I want to warn you against something more important than you're hearing in your mind. You're making up in your head, buddy. What if, what if Jesus answered his favor and he never had a relationship with his brother again? What if he put his, all of his heart and his soul into his money and it actually corrupted him from the inside? What if his money became his treasure in life so much so that he was willing to do whatever it takes to get that that actually would injure his life and here's the deal life only lasts so long and jesus is actually warning i don't want wealth to get a hold of your heart in such a way that you'll actually put that above even relationships i i want to tell you um so i have two daughters they're teenagers now 16 18 but when they were little and really all the way through their life i feel like i'm the judge a lot of times. Anyone who's a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People who live in close proximity have conflicts, and oftentimes, you know, they come to me, and they want me to decide the case. And each of them have a case, no matter what the case is. They each have a side to the story, and I have to judge between the case. And if I vote in one or the other, it's just, well, you always take their side. Have you guys ever done this? You're a parent. You've done this. Anyway, when they were little, uh, there was a case that was brought before me. Uh, the situation was this. They were upstairs playing at a friend over, and uh, my oldest daughter, Abby, broke my youngest daughter, Carly's, back scratcher. So you know the little plastic back scratchers? You know, a little piece of plastic? Well, they come running downstairs. Abby broke my back scratcher. No, Carly broke my back scratcher. And I'm thinking, well, it can't be both, right? I'm, you know, I, there's got to be something happening here. I need to know the facts of the case. So they're coming downstairs, and now the third party is going, no, Abby broke it. And I'm like, okay, now I have a witness that Abby broke it. What story is Abby going to tell me to explain to me that it's going to go against two witnesses that she broke it? So here's what she does. Abby comes down. I'm like, well, it sounds like you broke it. She goes, I didn't break it. Carly broke it. I said, okay, Abby, tell me, how did Carly break it? And here's what she says. I swung it at Carly. And her butt broke it. <laughs> I said, so you swung it at your sister, and it hit her butt, and it broke the back. She says, that's right. She has buns of steel. I'm like, 
I don't know where you got that term. Nevertheless, I'm, I'm, I'm listening, and, and, you know, and she's making her case. I said, I said, Abby, do you know what the word negligent means? She goes, no. I said, well, negligent means this. Imagine I'm driving, and I pull up to a stop sign, and I look left, and there's no cars coming, and I decide to go ahead and turn right, but I don't look, and I turn right into a parked car, and I wreck into the parked car. Now, did the parked car cause the accident? She goes, no. I said, that's right, because I'm negligent. I actually caused the accident into the parked car. She goes, oh, I'm negligent. I'm like, yes, you are negligent. Now, I want to tell you guys something. I don't care about back scratchers. It was probably 99 cents at the dollar store. It may have been a gift. I have no idea. We can go out and buy as many back scratchers as we ever need. I don't care. What I do care about is that my two daughters value each other. That's what I really want. I want them to look at life through their sister's lens. I I want them to have relationship. I want them to care about each other. I want them to do that with everybody, to care about other people as much as they care about themselves. I want them to have that value in their life. I don't care about the back scratcher, right? That's obvious. We all understand. If you've parented anybody in your life, you understand this. Now, don't you see it in light of what Jesus is saying? He doesn't care about the $170,000. That's not even important to him. What he cares about is something so much more valuable. And he's saying, look, if you put your life in this extra money, buddy, it's going to have your life. You're going to be so caught up in what this is, it's going to entangle your life, and your heart's going to be caught up in it. And that is dangerous, if not foolish. That's what he's saying. We value justice, and maybe it's not money, Maybe it's something else, but deep down we want to be right and we feel entitled to have that affirmation to be right. And when something comes up against that, specifically when it comes to money, it really gets up in us, doesn't it? So here's the thing. Things we value most might lead us to make foolish decisions. Doesn't mean it will, but it certainly has the ability to make us or lead us in a place where we'll make foolish decisions. Here's what Jesus said. Verse 16. So he's in the middle of the context of that story. He says this, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So, it's a story. It's a parable that Jesus is telling to explain a truth to the crowd, and consequently to us. So, what do we take from the story? Because here's the problem with the story. When I read this story, I realize that the guy actually is making a pretty decent decision. He's got, he's already wealthy, and he's got a land that's really producing well. So he's got a business that's doing well. So what does he do? He's thinking, I need to restructure in such a way that I can get even more of this income that's coming in and capitalize on it so that I can retire well. When you look at that, you think, if you came to me and you wanted business advice with, with what I can help you with, and you had an opportunity like this, I'd say capitalize on your moment, take care of yourself. And doesn't everyone want to retire well? I mean, nobody says, you know what? I want nothing at the end. In fact, I don't think that's even what God wants for you to have nothing. Wealth in and of itself is not evil. Remember we talked about that last week? Wealth is benign. And there are people in scripture that were extremely wealthy. Abraham, very wealthy man, the patriarch of the faith. 
We talked about, you know, Joseph of Arimathea. We talked about Barnabas, one of my heroes, that this guy was wealthy. He had a piece of land he was able to sell to provide for needy families in Jerusalem. He only was able to have that money to give because he had the land. He was wealthy. It's not wealth that's the problem. This is the problem. And when you read the story, he's a wealthy man who has what he needs, but he wants something more. And it says, I, 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 me, my, 12 times. His complete focus is on himself. He already is wealthy and he just wants more for himself. That's the problem. And this is the problem for us is that deep down, our hearts are prone to follow this example. When we look at what we have, it would be great to have more of it. It'd be great to be able to retire in a better position. It'd be great to have the things we need for our kids and for their futures. I mean, that's where our hearts go naturally. That's the issue. So then what do we do? You know, I think the foolish part of this is that the guy didn't know he was about to die. And so he's, he's planning this whole scheme up. He's, he's saying, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and I'm going to keep my stuff. And the reality is he's just not going to live past that night. Now, Jesus looks at our life in a way that we can't see it. We don't know how much longer we live. But here's a fact. No one makes it out alive. Like 100% of people, we don't make it, right? There's, now, we don't know how many years, but there is going to come a point in time when our time on earth is done, and we will answer before God with our life. There, there's a parable that Jesus told about talents. You guys remember this? He told it a couple different ways, but he, uh, he's got a landowner, and that's God, and he's got his people. Uh, he gives one guy five talents, one guy two talents, one guy one talent. He says, I want you to do something, invest it well, and that one guy who has five makes five more, gives it to the boss. He's like, this, you know, this is great, well done. The guy who had two did two more, gives it to the boss. The boss is like, that's great. You did a great job. The guy who had one was so afraid that he'd lose it, he just buried it, comes back and says, hey, I didn't lose it. Here it is. And he goes, that's evil. What did you, why did you not do something with it? He goes, well, I didn't want to lose it. He didn't, he didn't go out and spend it on bad things. He didn't spend it on himself. He just didn't do anything with it. And the owner was like, why didn't you do something? Do you see how these two parables, when you contrast them, here's the truth I think we need to embrace, okay? In all of this parable, our stuff that we have, our skills that we have, our talent and our opportunities, we look at them like owners. This is my stuff. This is my job, my income, my skill set, my opportunities. We look at life as an owner does. And in the kingdom of God, what he's saying is, I want you to look at it more like a manager. As if God is the one providing. He's the one giving you everything that you have. Your very life, the breath in your lungs, the way that your body works, he designed that on purpose. And your opportunities, your skills, and the gifts that he's given you to enjoy. And he wants you to look at them as a manager rather than an owner. So what does that mean for us? I, I want to give you guys just some practical advice. I was talking with some folks this week that I thought uh, shared some good advice with me that I could share with you. And it really models what we're trying to do as a church. So let me explain. Here's what I would say to you. No matter where you're at in this room, you should have a budget. Budget out what it is that you spend. Now, some of you guys, like, I do have a budget. I know what I make and I know what I, you know, my bills are. And that's, that's as far as you go. You need to budget out further than that. You need to budget out what you actually spend. I would recommend two months 
literally uh, write down everything you spend for two months. And here's what you're going to find. You spend lots of money on things that really you don't need at all. Uh, I had a buddy tell me this week, he was, I was spending $300 a month on beef jerky and snacks. And I thought, dude, that's pretty excessive. Well, as he's saying it, another buddy said, are you kidding? You should see what my Starbucks bill is. And I'm like, I actually don't want to know what you're spending on Starbucks. But evidently, it exceeded the 300. And I'm like, that's crazy. And then I've done this in my life. You know, Tammy and I have literally written down what we spend. I'm like, I spend, I'm eating my paycheck. Like, I eat my excess. Like, how does this happen? And you guys are thinking, I'm kind of thin. But it's just, you know, I run it off. So nevertheless, we do this. Here's my point. If you have a budget, you'll start to know what you are making and really spending, and you need to do that. And here's the next piece of advice. You need to live on 80% of what you have. Here's why. Here's the principle in the kingdom of God. These are for people who follow God with their life. If you're still on the fence about following God, listen, understand the principle, but you need to give 10% back to God. Now, here's where that comes from. In the Old Testament, God talked about a tithe many times, and he even said in Malachi, test me on this, give 10% to me, Trust me and watch what I do with the rest. He can do more with your 90% than you can do with your 100%. And there's this test of all of that. Now, some of you in the room, 10% is what you do, but you have a gift of giving and you give way beyond that. You're a New Testament person. You're like, I'm gonna give it all. Like there are people who are gifted in this whole spiritual gift of giving and your issue is not 10% at all. But for most of us in the room, it is an issue. Here's why. Because you've not done that and that would be a stretch in your budget. So let me tell you what my recommendation is, okay? Start somewhere. 10% might wreck your budget. If you've never done it, if you've never trusted God with that big of an amount of your paycheck, look, I would say take a step somewhere and make it count a little bit. I remember as a young man, like I never gave. I remember hearing the challenge. I've read in the scriptures. I'm like, I need to start giving something. And I used to think 20 bucks, that's a lot of money. I can give 20 bucks. And I thought maybe that's exactly what I should give. Like I, you need it to count a little bit and, and hurt you a little bit. But don't wreck your budget. If you've never done this, listen, start somewhere, write it down, and try to create a generosity in your life. Now, the Bible would say support the local church, but you're not limited to the local church. There are ministries and missions that Tammy and I are part of that have nothing to do with LifePoint. But I would say to you, start becoming generous somewhere in your life. And on the other side of that, create a margin. Create a margin in your life and you're spending somewhere. Here's why. Because if God did bring a need up in your life, if you have no margin, you have no opportunity to be generous. And the only way to really combat the hold that money has on us, the hold that it has on our heart and the way it becomes an idol in our life and it becomes all of our security is what we make, the only way to break that is generosity. It has a way of breaking you. And I can tell you, in my life, I've learned to give and I've never regretted a dime going to the kingdom of God. I have dreaded and regretted money going to insurance companies or, or to, to things that like interest, like things that I'm like, why did I spend it on that? I've regretted lots of things I've spent on. I have never regretted a dime going to the kingdom of God. And I don't think you will either. So that said, make a budget, create margin on both sides, and then become generous. Here's what we want you to do. Okay, because the church is trying to do the exact same thing. 
Every year we have a budget. Everyone who works full-time carries a line of budget and from their area and they have to present a budget and it has to all make sense because the money that comes in is not ours. We're trying to manage it well on behalf of what God would want. And here's what we do in the church. We make our budget and in that budget, the first 10% of that budget goes to mission. Now, you guys know if you've been around LifePoint, we give to things like our church plant in Pittsburgh, Steel City Church, and super excited that next year we'll continue supporting them. They're a new church in Pittsburgh. They're reaching people with the gospel in a very hard-to-reach place. Super excited about them. Uh, Pastor Chris is going to come back and speak again next year. Excited about what's happening there. You know about uh, our team that just went to Argentina. I'm excited for Mark to speak in a few weeks and talk a little bit about the things that he saw down there. And we're, we're hoping to find ways to, there's, a, there's an orphanage down there. There's a church planting area down there. I mean, we're excited about things like that. The first 10% go to mission organizations. And, you know, you guys know that we give to WARM. And uh, you, some of you guys know that uh, LifeWise Academy uh, is, or is coming to like Westerville and reaching people. We want to we pour gas on that when we can. There are things we do, but the first 10% of everything we do goes to mission. The rest of it we try to live on, right, and operate our expenses around here, but we also try to create margin, and here's why. Because we know that needs are going to come up for LifePoint. Like, you guys know what it's like to try to park here. We would love to have a bigger parking lot. <laughs> we would love to create more space, either building on the land or looking for something else. There are things we want to do, and we're trying to be responsible. We're trying to do the very thing, I'm telling you, but as a church. So here's how you can help us with that, and here's what we're asking everyone to do. If you follow along in the listening guide uh, that you find in my sermon notes, either in the app or through lpguest.com, there's a link to an annual commitment card that we're asking you to do. Now, for those of you who've been with us, then you know we've done two building campaigns over the course of the last five years. We're not asking you to give more. You are great givers. You've already done that. We're asking you simply to do math and write out what it is that you're gonna give next year in 2023 to help us plan our budget. That's all we're asking from you. And uh, look, the link is super simple. You hit the link, it fills it out, takes like 30 seconds. You can find it there in my sermon notes. We'll make sure it's in there next week. Uh, and on the 20th, we're hoping that everything, you know, we're done with the series and we're hoping that all of those are collected so we can make us a, uh, you know, a good way of being responsible as a church. But for a lot of you, you've never given. That's never been your thing. Like you just haven't taken that step. We're asking you to fill something out. Make a commitment. Like I said, 10% may be a problem for you. Make a commitment, write it down. And here's why. When you write it down, it helps you kind of own that. And here's what'll happen. God will literally bless what it is that you do He'll be in that giving. I've, it's cliche. You can't outgive God. I've just found it to be true. God will work in your sacrifice because that sacrifice is a, is a way of saying, I trust you, God. That's what he wants from you. And it will help break the chain that money has over your heart. We want everyone to fill one out. You can go online if you want. If you don't want to do it through the links, you can go online. It's lifepointohio.com forward slash my card. Super simple. Now, if you're here and you're like, I don't do online anything, that's fine. We have paper ones for you at Guest Central. You can fill it out, put it in an envelope, and send it in. That's fine. We can do it that way. Uh, but remember, someone has to type that in. So we're trying to make it so we don't have to, you know, have more people typing stuff in. But whatever way helps you, we want you to do it. We also want to be responsible as a church, but we also want to help you take a step. Does that make sense? Here's the last part, and I think this is the part of the passage that, that's most important, is that we need to be wise in how we invest. We need to be wise about how we invest our lives. Here's what he says. He just told the parable. This guy had all this stuff. He wanted control over it, and he had to get rid of it 
at the end because he died. And I think the Lord is saying, I want you to plan how you're going to get rid of it now. I want you to be wise. Here's what he says, verse 21. So don't be the fool. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So another way of saying this is, foolish is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, nobody wants to be foolish. So what is he saying? We talked about this last week, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is not wrong to have things on this earth. It is not wrong to have, uh, you know, wealth. That is not wrong and it's not sinful to have wealth. Some of you, I hope he blesses big time. But some of you, I hope that you don't get that at all because if your heart's not right, it'll become the noose around your neck, spiritually speaking. You gotta fear. I heard a friend of mine wrote that down. He says, we should fear wealth as much as we fear not having it. Why? Because spiritually speaking, it can become the anchor, the thing that stops us from hearing from God. So it's not wrong to have it. In fact, I think God's okay with it because he's the one who blesses us. But it's not okay to not be rich towards God. So we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be rich towards God? That's the real issue. How do we become rich towards God? I, you know, it's not as hard to answer that question as you might think because deep down you all know it in your hearts. Let me explain. When Tammy and I met, we were flirting with each other. That was as deep and rich as our relationship was. Like I thought she was super cute and I was hoping she liked me. That's as deep as it was, right? Then you get married, you know, you fall in love, you get married, you sacrifice for each other and then, you know, you build this commitment and there, it becomes more rich. You share life. Then you share experiences and we, we bring two babies in the world. God gives them to us and we're trying to raise them and we have highs and lows and, and different ministries, church plants and things like that. All of these things, we've, we've had loss together. We've sinned against each other and had to learn to forgive each other. Like we have lived life together and her heart has become intertwined with my heart. There's a richness between us that you can't put a number value on and anyone who's been in a relationship knows exactly what I'm talking about. And yet, at the end of your life, you're not going to care about your money. You're going to care about the relationships. You want richness in your relationships, and you know it. And here's the thing. If you're rich towards God, here's what will happen. Things that God values, you will start to value. Let me explain with Tammy, okay? Growing up, I'm, I'm the youngest of six, four of us boys. And it was all sports all the time in our house. And we wrestled and roughhoused. I mean, if you could, you know, uh, tackle it or hit the ball or you could throw it in a hoop. I mean, anything that was like that, I was totally into. I was not into anything musically inclined at all. So my mom watched, you know, The Sound of Music comes on TV. Now, The Sound of Music comes on TV. And, you know, and Julie is going to sing to the hills, right? She's going she's to let it go. Some of you, I've lost you completely. Just stick with me. There's a point, Okay. Julie Andrews is singing to the hills, and it's this big musical. Now, I never watched that, because why would any young boy watch The Sound of Music? I'm playing football or kickball or wiffle ball or anything, tackle, anything. Let's just do anything but The Sound of Music. So when it comes on, we just go outside and play. Years later, fast forward, I'm married to Tammy for a long time. We had an opportunity to see The Sound of Music live, and she hit yes before I saw it. And I'm like, why would you hit yes to that? She goes, well, A, it's free. It's part of a network thing. And they paid for us to do this. She goes, you love me, right? You want to take me on a date? I'm like, yes, but that? And she's like, Ed, it's a war story. You love war stories. <laughs> that one is clever. <laughs> so let me tell you something. I had no idea how good it is. I had no idea. After it was over, we saw the, we saw the show, we came home, and we, we got the Julie Andrews version, and then we got the girls around, we invited Grandpa over, 
And we just enjoyed it. And now my girls sing the whole soundtrack. Um, but, you know, at that time in their life, it was still early. And now I, I realize they're, they're all musical. That's all they do is music. They've done all the musicals. They're in theater. And I've been to so many musicals now. This is a really small and just really small detail. But Tammy loves music. And her love of music is rubbed off on me. And now I appreciate and love music, not to the degree she does, but I do. Like, she's rubbed off on me. Do you see how it works? Her heart infiltrates my heart. When you have a rich relationship, you start to appreciate and love things that your, your person in relationship loves. We all get that, right? Or wouldn't it be the same with God? What is it that God values? Does he value the extra $170,000 that this guy could have got? Not as much as the guy did. What is it that the guy wants more? What is it that God wants more than anything else? He wants you to value what he values. Do you know what he values more than anything else? He values people. He loves them. You, you can't be connected to God and not start to value what he values. You know, we all have like a circle that we value, right? And so we have like our inner circle, family. That, these are our people that we do life with. And these are the ones we value above anyone else. We all have a circle. Then we have like an extended circle. These are the people we value and we want to do life with at some degree. But then there's a lot of people outside the circle, are there not? God wants us to value the people outside the circle as much as we value the people in the circle. He wants us to love everyone as much as we love ourselves, why? Because he loves them. So I can't look at my neighbors who are annoying and not value them. I can't look at the people in my family who are annoying and not love them. I can't look at anyone and not love them. You know, the thing about um, when, when Mark got back from Argentina, he showed me a video of some people um, at an orphanage down in Argentina, and my heart broke for them. I don't know who these people are. I just started to see what God was doing in them. And do you know why? Because my king really values them. Like, he super values them. I can't explain to you how much he values people. But here's what I also know. Unless I spend time with him, unless I connect to him, unless I allow my heart to gravitate towards the Lord, I'll never value what he values. And this is the problem. Money and security and my need to be and trust myself is higher than my need to trust God sometimes. And money makes it easy. And I think he's trying to break that in my life so that I will trust him and lean towards him at all times. That's what this series is about. And if you came in and you're like a skeptic and you're like, or maybe even new, you're like, oh my gosh, I came into this weird series about giving. It's important because God wants your heart more than he wants anything. That's what he wants from you. He wants your heart. He wants you to know him and have a rich relationship with him. So at the end of your life, when life is winding down, you're looking at life and the richness in relationship you have with Jesus spills out on other people. And you don't walk forward and with any anxiety you walk forward and say, I can't wait to see my king face to face. Can I say also, you know, most of you in this room, you understand how much you've been given, right? We feel entitled all the time when we battle entitlement, but you know deep down how much you've been given. This is, this is the thing. Nobody really wants justice. I want justice for me. Like I have an agenda and I want God to bless my agenda just like this guy did, right? We all have that in our life. But deep down, we don't want justice. And let me explain why. Because what if true justice would be this? You and I pay for all of our sins. What if that were true? What if we had to walk in front of God and answer for every sin we've ever committed? Now, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna justify and we're gonna state our case. Well, God, but there's this person down the street and they were terrible. I'm not like that person. And he said, I'm not talking about that person. I'm talking about you. That means we would have to answer for every bad thought we've ever had towards another human being because those were his human beings. 
We have to answer for every time we, we turned our back on God. We'd have to answer for everything that we've thought or done that's hurt somebody or been against God. We'd have to answer for that. That's true justice. We do not want that kind of justice in our life. And if you came in today and you're like, I don't know, what's the other answer? I got to make up for it somehow? This is what God's justice did. He sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty for every sin we've ever committed. Every one of them that holds us from being in right relationship with God. He paid for all of it. And then he raises from the grave and says, follow me. I'll pay for all of that. Just come to me. Are you tired of trying to work this out on your own? Just come to me. Anyone who comes to him, all the sins they've ever committed are washed away. The Bible says like, like thrown from as far as east is from west, which is just another way of saying it's impossible to even see it again because God threw it away. You and I are free of all of that. Did you deserve that? No, and you know it deep down. So why would we ever act entitled? We should live as though eternity is in our hearts every second of the day. That's what, we, that's what we need in our heart. And we don't want true justice. We want grace and mercy. And if you came in today and you think, all right, I've never, never received that grace and mercy, that's your step today. This whole giving thing, maybe that's not even on your radar. Your step of faith today is to receive the grace and mercy of God, to stop trying to be the king of your life, and surrender to the king of kings who laid down his life for you so that your sins could be washed away. That's your step today. For a lot of you, your step is that you need to stop thinking like an owner and start thinking like a manager of all that God has given you. That's your step. For some of you, that's the way you live. You're gifted in that. And maybe your step is just thinking through how you want to manage what God has given you. And God gives you that right to, to think through how, how to bless and how to be a blessing to other people. God gives you that. So here's what your step is today, is to think that through. But wherever there's a hindrance, I want you to deal with that and talk to God. So let, let's stand together and let's pray. As, as we get ready to pray, if you have a thing in your heart that you need prayer for, I'm going to ask you to go back to the next steps. Um, if, if you're not, if you don't really feel close to God, prayer is just simply a way of allowing your heart to connect to God. I'm going to ask you to kind of talk under, you know, either under your breath or in your mind, in your heart, talk to God. He hears that. But if you want someone else to pray with you, I'm gonna ask you to head back to next steps. And if there's something going on, as we start to sing the song, just head back there. But let's take a second and let's pray. Close your eyes and bow your head and talk to God. Maybe there's something God has put on your heart as I was talking that, that you need to deal with. And if that's the case, tell God. Maybe if you've been really struggling with something that, that's causing entitlement or whatever, I'm just gonna ask you to say to God, God, I surrender this to you. Just tell him, God, I surrender this to you. Maybe it's adopting the mentality of being a manager of what God has given you and just say, God, help me. Help me to manage what you've given me well. Maybe it's a step of generosity that you're thinking about. Just say, God, help me know what that is. But help me to trust you too. Maybe for some, it's, there's something else going on in your life and you're just struggling. Just talk to God about that and ask for grace and mercy. If you came in and you would say, I don't know that I've ever received his mercy. I don't know that I've ever 
ask Jesus to be the king of my life. Here's what you do. The best step you'll never regret is this step. Let's just say to God right now, God, I believe in you and I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. Just tell him, I believe that. Maybe you've always believed that. Just tell God right now, I believe you, God. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from their sin. Here's what that means. You say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn my life to you. Would you please lead me? As best I know, with all the faith that I have, as little as it might be, Jesus, I'm turning to you right now. And just tell him that. You need to know that's all he requires. He'll meet you right in that spot. Spiritually speaking, you are made right with God because of what he did on the cross and your step of faith. It's that simple. I'm gonna ask you to do one thing in this moment. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you for my Father in heaven and the angels. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that, to follow Jesus between you and me and God. I'm just gonna ask that you raise your hand up and say, today was my day. If that's you, anywhere in the room, I ask you to raise your hand up high enough I can see it and say, today is my day. I wanna follow Jesus. God, I thank you for being a God that cares about us and loves us, that you would be willing to send your son Jesus to die on a cross. God, help us to adopt your heart in the areas that we struggle, the areas where we want entitlement and we wanna be right, we want justice. God, I pray that you help us to see things through your eyes and see things through the light of eternity. God, help us to take a step of surrendering the ownership of our life to you and I pray, God, that you would help us to adopt your values in the kingdom. God, use our lives for something bigger than just ourselves. And we ask all that in your son, Jesus' precious name.